0: We are continuing in the series we started last week um, called God in the Flesh. What we're doing is talking about how God... Uh, did not stay up in heaven just sitting there waiting for us. No, he did something in sending his Son and God coming in the flesh, being one of us. Uh, Last week we talked about how there is a mystery there in the fact that Jesus really is God in the flesh. And this week we're going to be looking at the other side of that coin, in order to do that, we're going to be looking at two passages, uh, first from John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible and you want to read along, you can put a finger on John 1 and then put another finger at Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't want to open up a Bible yourself, or if you just want to look at the screen, feel free to do that also. Uh, here's what John one, 1 and verse 14 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then from Hebrews chapter 2, therefore He had to make... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let me pray for us. Father, there is much mystery in uh, the truth of the incarnation, uh, will you help us today to slow down enough to really reflect on these truths? To not just nod our head and say, we've heard it all before, but to, in one way or another, uh, refresh and renew our wonder at the truth of our God coming in the flesh. Give us insight into that. Help us to understand it more. And Holy Spirit, not only help us to understand, but to live differently because of it. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I am tempted to ask this as a raise, uh, for you to raise your hands about this, but I will not do that because I fear what might happen. But let's just do it this way. Do you believe that there are aliens living among us and we don't know? Are there aliens secretly living among us, right now, and we just don't know it. Now, I know some of you, you know that I, I love studying scripture, I love study theology, but I also am a student of, of pop culture. And if you look at pop culture answers to that question, it's all over the place that they really do believe that this is a possibility. I mean, for example, think about Superman, right? Looks like a human being, but he's actually from the planet Krypton, right? Or uh, maybe a a little bit more modern example from uh, across the pond Doctor Who. Looks very human, but the Doctor has two hearts, which shows that he's, or she now, really is not, uh, you know, a human. Or, Or think about, For those of you who remember the 1988 movie, They Live, Masterpiece, by the way, aliens used cloaking technology to look like humans, and when the guy put these shades on, he was able to actually see them for what they really were. You know that could really happen, right? Just put the shades on, just see things. The Men in Black movies, that's another example of how there are aliens hiding among us, according to pop culture. The 90s sitcom, Third Rock from the Sun, I know some of you really enjoyed that. Um, The old Saturday Night Live skit of the cone heads, some of you remember that. They had these weird shaped heads. They barely looked human, but people passed it off because they would say, We're from France. And people would say, oh, okay, apparently everybody in France has a cone head. <laughs> and to be even more modern, uh, Marvel, next year on Disney Plus, I know all of you subscribe to Disney Plus, Plus. Um, 2020, 2022, they are doing a series called Secret Invasion, in which a, a, a different, a, an alien group called the Skrulls and their shape-shifting aliens They are living among us, even now, right? Now, that's the way that our culture thinks about aliens living among us, that they pretend to be human. One thing about all of those examples is that those aliens may look human, they may pretend to be human, but they are not really human. And unfortunately, we can be tempted to think that way about Jesus. Not that he's an alien, but that he's not really human. Sometimes we emphasize the fact that he's God so much that we lose the fact that God became flesh that he took on human nature, that he became like us. And we are rehashing an old, old heresy. Uh, Docetism is, if you like to know what uh, ancient heresies are, where they just believed that Jesus pretended to be human, when he really wasn't. But the scriptures give us something very different than Jesus pretending that he really is human. It shows us that God came in the flesh. That he really is both God and a human being. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about the human nature of Jesus And let this really sink in. Last week I told you that we really need to pause. We really need to slow down and think about the wonder of what this really is that we say we believe every year around this time. We sing about Emmanuel, God in the flesh. But have we really, really let that sink in? what that's really like. So today what we're gonna talk about is both the humanity, we're gonna talk mainly about the humanity, and we will talk about the deity of Christ, but we really wanna focus on his humanity. And here's the point that I wanna to make today. That we ought not, we ought not emphasize the, the deity of Christ to the exclusion of his humanity. Yeah, we want to say that Jesus is God in the flesh, but we also want to say that Jesus is God in the flesh. And we need to keep that balance if we're going to understand who Jesus really was. Again, last week we looked at this passage, but let's look at it one more time. John 1, 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see that this word, whatever else it is, the word was equated with God. And then, in verse 14, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw, we've seen His glory, glory as of the only God, Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we say about Jesus, that He is very God of very God, but He put on flesh and He became like God. In fact, the author of Hebrews says it even stronger. Here's the point that I want you to see from this, that the Son of God put on flesh and became like us in every way. Let that sink in. God, very God of very God, the God who rules and reigns over all the universe, put on flesh and became like us in every way and you say where do you get that idea from stuart author of hebrews says it in hebrews 2 17 through 18 i read it a few moments ago let's read it again therefore he this is talking about jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect let that sink in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now I know there's a little bit of abstractness there. Okay, what does that mean? Let me try to process this with you. God was in a woman's womb for about nine months. He experienced birth with all the nastiness and the messiness of what birth brings. He had to have his umbilical cord cut. He had to breathe. He cried. You know, one of the things, just as an aside, one of the things that I know I'm I'm treading on dangerous ground here, but one of the things that frustrates me a little bit about the, the hymn, Away in a Manger, the second stanza, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, now let me ask you, how many of you have ever had the experience of a child being woken up from a slumber by some noise and they just sat there and were like, oh, this is cool. It doesn't happen often, right? Babies cry. That's what babies do. And Jesus cried. He wept. That's how his parents knew that he was hungry. Right? Right? He had to eat. He had to sleep. He laughed. He felt sadness and anger. He had to have his hair cut. He had fingernails and toenails. And yeah, he probably had to cut those every once in a while. Again, another aside, I can't help but do this. Did you know that the modern-day fingernail clipper that we use today. It didn't come until the 1870s. 1870s. What did they do beforehand? They used knives or their teeth. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's terrible. That's what Jesus had to do to keep his fingernails from being too long. He had to go to the bathroom, he was subject to viruses. Because he was human in every way like us. He may have had acne as a teenager. He learned things. Now that's where you're going, wait a second, Stuart. How can God of God learn something? Well, as to his human nature, he did. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Read it from the scriptures themselves. Can we have that slide, please? Luke chapter 2. It's coming. Here it is. That's a mark. Do we have a Luke? All right, I'm just going to read Luke to you. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What did he increase in? He increased in wisdom. How can you increase in wisdom if you're the all-wise God? It's a mystery, right? But this is a part of his human nature. The fact that he took on humanity means that he had to be able to learn. In his human nature, there were things that Jesus did not know. Again, you're probably going, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you getting that from? God knows everything. Yes, but somehow in the mystery of being both God and man, Jesus didn't know certain things. You know how I know that? Again, Scripture. This is where the Mark passage comes. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Jesus saying this himself, his own words, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Whoa. So here is Jesus saying There's something I don't know. Does that boggle your mind? Does that make you go, what can be going on here? That God would enter flesh so much so that somehow in some mysterious way He both knows all things and in another sense He doesn't know certain things. Wow, that's mind-boggling. God had to work with his hands. The scriptures say that his father was a carpenter and then that day you took on the roles of your father and so he probably learned carpentry. He sweat. His body stank after a hard day's work because that's what bodies do. His muscles ached. There were times when his... Breath probably stank also because another fun fact, they didn't have toothbrushes back then. They used twigs. They chewed on twigs. I don't know about you, but I don't think too many twigs would smell really great when you chew on them. He knew what temptation was like. He was tempted in every way just like we are The only difference is he didn't give in to sin. Yeah, the temptations that you face, whatever they may be, in some fashion or form, Jesus faced those. You may say, "Well, Jesus wasn't tempted to stay on Facebook all day and scroll through," but he did have things that tempted him to be distracted. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. So he prayed. Think about that. God prayed. Who did he pray to? God prayed to himself. But he prayed to his Father because he is the Son. He read the scriptures, he bled, he died. And he rose from the dead. C.S. Lewis has this great quote that helps me to grapple with these truths. He says, the second person in God, the Son, became human himself. He was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of particular height with hair of a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many stone. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby. And before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, Think how you would like becoming a slug or a crab. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a slug. If somebody told me, the way you save slugs in the world is, Stuart, you have to become like one of them, I think I would say, no, thank you. Same for crab. Do you get what we're trying to say here? This is there is a mystery here, and it it should cause our, our minds to wonder like, what has God done in order to bring us to himself? What lengths he has gone to bring us to him. I mean, Jesus was so much a man, a human being, he was so much like us, in fact many people never even considered that he might be more than a mere man. People didn't even consider that he could possibly be something other than a man. I mean, contrary to what people sometimes think, Jesus did not walk around with a glowing halo over his head. Right? He didn't walk around and everybody go, oh, look. There's Jesus. He's the Son of God because He's got that glowing halo thing. That's not how it worked. If we had a time machine and we were to go back in time and we were to see Jesus face to face, we would not look at Him and go, oh, He must be God in the flesh just by looking at Him. In fact, I wonder if we would even know who he was just by looking at him. He would probably look like just some average Joe Schmo walking down the street and we wouldn't give him much attention at all. Except for when he spoke. And when he did actions. But just looking at him? I mean, the people during that time, they had no idea. Think about Mark chapter 6 verse 3 when there were people who saw Jesus and they saw the wonderful, wonderful works he was doing, the miracles he was doing, and they said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense because Jesus was claiming to be something that they thought there's no way he could be. He's just the God. But all this, all this leads us to wonder and amazement. Yes, but why? Why did God put on flesh? Well, he became like us out of love for us. He became like us out of love for us and a desire to bless us. Remember that slug example? Imagine saying, I love this slug, and I want to bless it, so I'm going to become like the slug in order to love and bless this slug i don't think there'd be anybody in this room who would go yes sign me up for that that sounds fun and yet god out of his love for us in his desire to bless us as galatians 4 4 through 5 says When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, to buy us, to purchase us, who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's why the Son became human, so that humans could become sons and daughters of God. So that we could be His children. And he also, as Hebrews 2, as we read earlier, it says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And we'll stop there for a moment. I've said this many times. Propitiation is not a word that we use. You know, you don't like go down the street and say, hey, are you going to propitiate today? Yeah, so am I. We just don't do that. That's not a word that we use. So what does propitiation mean? It means to turn away wrath. It means somebody is angry about something and you do something to take that anger away. God is angry about sin. He hates it. All those things that we do and say that go against what He is and what He wants us to be, He hates that stuff. And yet, in His love, He is the one who sent Jesus to be the propitiation, the one who turned that anger, that wrath, that hatred away from us. It's still on sin but it's away from us. Because when Jesus went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice, a perfect human being who did not deserve to die, he took all of that wrath, all of that anger, all of that hatred against sin on himself so that we would never experience his wrath if we believe in him. And then one more reason, as we see here, for because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What a beautiful truth that God cares for us and wants to bless us so much that he says, I'm willing to be tempted the way that you are so that I know how to comfort you when you're tempted. So what are you tempted by? Jesus says, I've been there, I've done that. I didn't fall into temptation, I didn't sin, but I know what it's like. I know what it's like. You know, that's one of the things that, um, especially in our modern society, modern culture, we we definitely hear a lot, right, that we just want to be understood. We want to be heard. We want people to know where we're coming from. Jesus knows where we're coming from better than anybody because he put on flesh. And he lived a life where he saw temptation over and over and over again. And he says to us, hey, look, if you've been tempted, I know what that's like. If if you're weary and heavy laden, I know what that's like. Come to me, and you'll find rest. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find comfort. You'll find everything you really need. Come to me. That's what Jesus says to us. And because Jesus is truly human and not only divine, he is the perfect mediator between God and human beings. That is something that we cannot forget. I mean, all the other things, they're amazing, but the fact that Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and human beings, there's only one God, First Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Because he is both God and man, he can perfectly represent us. He can perfectly represent God to us and us to God. He can perfectly take care of all of our sins. As uh, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. Now, what do we do with all that? It's Christmas season, and everybody really listened to what I had to say last week, and you took the time to consider who Jesus really is, didn't you? You know what? True Confessions time. Last week was so busy, the only times that I really thought a lot about Jesus was in preparation for this sermon. Because it was so stinking busy. Because life is going at 90 miles per hour. And I'm being asked to do this and this and this, and you are too. And go to this concert, go to this party, go to this, go to that, do more, do more. And that's what our culture is saying around Christmas time. And we need to say, wait a second, let's slow down a minute and remember what we say the reason for the season is. God came in the flesh. That's why we celebrate. We don't celebrate just to celebrate, we celebrate a Savior. So, I know some of you are going to be really disappointed by this, but our action point this week is the same as last week. And it will continue to be until we get it right. Take the time. To consider who Jesus really is. And I say that knowing that tomorrow night I have a concert to go to and then a session meeting and then I have a concert to go to on Tuesday night and then we're caroling on Wednesday night and I have a concert to go to on Thursday night and it goes on and on and on, right? And if I know if I'm that busy, I bet you guys are too. And if we're all that busy, we've got to make some time to really think about why we're doing what we're doing. Why we believe what we believe and let that really sink in. Otherwise, we're just doing things. You hear me, folks? I don't want to just do stuff just to do it. I want to do things because I believe God came in the flesh to save a sinner like me. That's what I want in my life. I want there to be joy in my heart and in my life and in the way that I live and it to show on my face and to be something that everybody goes, wow, look at Stuart, he's joyful. Why? Because of Jesus. And even when we're busy, 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 busy all the time. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that busyness, people can look at us and go, there's something different that person is really slowed down enough to recognize this is the real reason for the season. Not activity, not busyness. Jesus. Busyness and activity will never save you. Jesus does. And that's what I want all of us to recognize and to let that explode into praise and thanks for what God has done for us in Jesus. So church, let's praise and give thanks to Jesus, the God who became man for our benefit. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we praise you. What an amazing thing that it is that you put on flesh. That you became like us in every respect except for sin. But you were tempted. And because you were tempted, we too can go to you in our temptation and know that you understand. That we too can go to you and know that you know what it's like to live in a body that is decaying and hurting. To know all of our trials and difficulties because you've been there and you've done that. And the fact that you were willing to even die on a cross and rise from the dead that we would be yours forever is a beautiful thing. Will you help us to slow down enough to remember, to reflect? and to exude the joy that comes uh, from these truths. It comes from you. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.